Afternoon all. <laughs> welcome, sorry, confidently welcome to the podcast, Throwing the Power. My name is Francis. I'm Marcus. I'm Tom. And I'm Chris. And today we're talking about Oppenheimer. Woo! 2020, it just came out. Heard of it? Yes, it's I have. It's been a little bit in the news. Of yes, like. there's been some conversations about it. It's uh, also very much in the news in the 40s. But yeah. we'll talk about that later. <laughs> sure. The 1940s? Maybe. So this is the podcast, Throw in the Power, where we talk about movies and try to sway each other's opinion is what I've heard. Uh, and we rate all these films we talk about out of a score of 11. Is that Why what you've heard it? on the street? Who <laughs> you told you? Who you've told heard you about the pod. You're, just watching, you're like, guys, I don't know what this is about. Someone guys, we just recorded an, an ad. And what are their sources? <laughs> it was a Tomato? graffiti Mustard? QR code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I forgot. I took a photo of a poster. Frank Stark said, I'm already derailing this shit. No, so as I said, uh, we rate films out of 11. And why is that, Thomas? Please tell me you have a reason for this Have we not taken this off him yet? No. We we can't. It's still his thing. It's still his thing. You know how, like, a child will throw a fit and you just give it back to them. And then it's like, and now the next time I try to take it off them, they're going to cry even harder. (laughs) It's like you shouldn't even try. It's not like I grew up with you at all. No. (laughs) Definitely haven't seen that firsthand. (laughs) Go on, 11, why? Uh, Because 11 was the number of minutes into this movie that the young man in front of me at the IMAX decided to pull out his phone and look (laughs) at the Wikipedia entry for J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I was like, dude. They're going to get to it. <laughs> Watch the movie. It, it may not be in a conducive order, but they'll get to they'll it. They'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, it's a, con- it's a confusing sort of I don't get uh, it. Where's narrative. John Wick in this? When does he come in? <laughs> what? <laughs> Originally called John Oppenheimer. Yeah. It's a crossover, it's like, it's a crossover episode. Is there something poppier, you know? The Nazis um, killed his dog and he went, right, <laughs> I have got something. But then he attacked the boy. Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Very confused. Um, I, I saw this guy do this in the cinema and I was like, I can't believe that happened. And I went on Twitter later that night and apparently it's a recurring thing. I saw people who were like, did anyone else have someone pull up the Wikipedia entry while they're in the cinema? And I, and I was like, Jesus, I can't believe this is a thing. It's like... The only analogy I can think of is being on a date and pulling out Tinder. What? Like it's so like see this through first. Like no, but there's I don't a time think and a place for this. Oppenheimer's not on TikTok yet, right? So No, it is. There's no oh, there's no awareness. <laughs> there's a, a whole bunch of World War II TikTok pages. Yes. Oh, okay. The two guys I was sitting oh, next to also pulled out their phones. <laughs> did they really? They did. Chris, their names not- were Frank and Marcus. <laughs> I okay, hold on. I did not. I will. Hey, correction. No, I didn't. I nearly. I tried to take a photo of the title card, which I realised about eleven minutes in, if not more, that the title card isn't coming up. And then it came up at the end of the movie, and I was like, yeah. "Oh shit, my camera! I want to take a photo." Yeah. And, and I was taking a didn't. photo of Frank taking a photo. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also taking yeah. notes for the pod. We have to take mm-hmm. a lot of notes. Of course. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't remember anything that happened. <laughs> Sons of bitches. Okay. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Shout your name if you like this movie. Toppenheimer. Marcus. Tommen, Tommen. Tommenheimer. Tommenheimer. You could yeah. just say, like I said, say your name. Toppenheimer. I can't do it. Marcusheimer. <laughs> well, Chris and I are Ooh, remarkably interesting. quiet. Interesting. Interesting. All right, give us some numbers. Who wants to go first? Me? You go first. I'll go first. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's pretty high. Yeah, go on, Tom. What's yours? Beat Mine, that. I'm at a 9.7. Oh, Wow. Nice. Nine and a 9.7. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty high. Uh, Chris? I'm going to start with a four. Whoa. Okay. Okay. I, I'm a little high. I think I want to be, I want to be swayed. So I'm just, I'm not going to play a sound. I'm just going to say I'm a 5.5 or a six. I'm on the middle. What is it again? 
Definitely a six. So I'm, I'm around there. That word I'm definitely on the middle. is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. <laughs> I'm just, He's I'm just going to fence it. I'm just going to fence it. I and to say I loved the first two hours of this film, maybe until the test bomb, and then I kind of was like, ah, oh, the last hour just killed me. In terms of the just the way it was structured, I don't know. I just that, was like, is that your score? Uh, I don't know. Am I scoring? Yeah. So it was a six, right? Well, five. It depends. I'm on the fence. Okay. I'm right in the middle. Have you played a, and anyone a noise can, for your I just or- said we I just said I wasn't gonna play a noise. <laughs> he said he was gonna make a noise, not play a noise. Yeah. So what you're saying is you got two hours into a three hour and zero minute film mm-hmm. and just kind of went, ah, I'm fizzled out, I'm burnt, I'm done. No, not burnt. I went, I was I wanted I I didn't like the structure of the film. So okay. interesting. When they're doing the test bombing, I was like, oh, okay. And then I figured they would go into the actual bombing of Hiroshima or Nagasaki or anything like that, and they kind of didn't. And the the court case is kind of the climax of the film, which I just – it didn't land for me. That's all interesting stuff. Should we give a quick synopsis? Have we done that yet? Spoiler alert. Yes, we should. Uh, Yeah, let's get into it. The story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Cool. That's it. And then, <laughs> and then the <laughs> that, court I mean, case. That's a bit of it, but then two thirds of it are uh, dedicated to him trying to get his parking pass renewed. <laughs> his parking pass. Yeah, it is really crazy <laughs> what they have to go through <laughs> just to get that priority pass. It's, see, it's, it does seem like a, to Chris's point. That does seem kind of trivial. The court case. It's yeah. like was he was he a communist? No, uh, but he kind of looked like one. Oh, uh, I guess he can't. So he looked the, like one? Well, yes. I think describe I it. Just, no, I want to hear what Chris's, oh Chris, sorry, Chris, Frank's physical like description of communist is. Piercing blue eyes, <laughs> short hair. Shit, he does look like a <laughs> I think the thing to take from this is as a Nolan film, you've got a very well-established Nolan fan base and, and hardcore fanboys backing this. But I, I don't know whether, and please jump in here, I don't know whether Nolan fanboys are going into this and walking out going, Masterpiece. They're the ones throwing around the masterpiece word for this, mm-hmm. or if they're walking out super jaded because it's not what I think is typically like a Nolan film. Personally, yeah, I thought it was very Nolan. Interesting. I mean, less sort of high tech and thinking about crazy ideas, but it felt like a Nolan film. If I went it in eyes closed. I could identify it via the sound design. I'm glad you didn't watch it at eyes closed. I remember you telling <laughs> yeah. me about thinking of doing that. I'm going to do this. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ludwig, Ludwig was great for me. Ludwig Göransson. Göransson. Uh, was it just Joransson. the screening that we were in, but were, were there moments of the film where you couldn't actually hear the dialogue because the music was so... Yeah, Tom, how did you get around this with no subtitles? Uh, I actually (laughs) had someone, I hired them to write them on the spot for me. (laughs) (laughs) It was very helpful of him. Uh, Unfortunately, he only spoke German, so I had Mm. to learn that on the fly as well. But, you know, you take what you can get. So, yeah, I agree. What's it called? I I feel like... Air tasker? No. I feel like... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, yes, at some point the dialogue was tricky to hear and tricky to understand. I didn't didn't mind that. I I sort of found it... um, Enjoyable to it's, guess what they were saying. It's a like common complaint and feature of, of Nolan's work for the past decade plus. I'd say it probably started with The Dark Knight Rises mm. when I don't know if you guys remember there was a really, really um, interesting character in that who spoke uh, quite clearly and concisely. 
Um, he had some really fantastic lines such as Sean Connery. <laughs> and it was really fantastic. No, they, for people who don't know, they did have to ADR a lot of um, Tom, Hardy. Tom Hardy's. Yes, thank you. Tom Hardy's lines for Bane in The Dark Knight Rises because the original cut, which you can find online, is inaudible. You cannot that's, understand what he's saying. That's just dialogue though. This yep. was the music is obscuring yeah. the dialogue. Yeah, and that was happening a lot in Tenet as well. Um, it was very another bad. film I yeah. don't like. Yeah, Tenet's, Tenet's tricky. I think more than maybe any other director we've talked about recently, we're probably going to get quite a bit into Nolan's career and mm. where he's at. I don't think there's many other directors like Nolan for the modern era. And there's, you know, a very specific sort of unicorn thing he has going where he makes big crowd-pleasing films that are separate from the Batman IP, of course, all originals. And even he's credited with bringing Batman into a more gritty and then, of course, a lot of, like, superhero movies movies following suit or Marvel going reactionary against it, like bringing this this uh, newfound sort of realism or whatever to the Batman well, movies. And also similar to what Chris said the other week, uh, the words written and directed by, unless you're Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> might not be a good thing. I think written and directed by Christopher Nolan is something that people go, this it, is probably going to be good. There's it, always a fair amount of hype and respect Interesting for parallel there because I did have mm. the same thought about what I said about James Cameron. He has an idea for something he wants to do visually mm-hmm. and then he kind of makes a story for it. And that has worked for Nolan up until now for me, like Inception will always be his high watermark because it is an incredible mix of concept to start with, story, acting, visual execution, sound. It, it's all there. That, and a, yeah. and that's where the fanboys come from. What do you think of the music? In this? Boom. No, in Inception. Oh. I'm just wondering. You've nailed it. <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's I think he's, he's the music direction, I'm sure he's not the doesn't compose it, but he works with Ludwig Rat a lot. Most of those films are. Well, that wasn't Ludwig. That was. That's um, what I'm saying. He doesn't work with Ludwig much. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. History. That was Zimmer. Wasn't but it? And then but it all feels. It all is. There's a through line. I feel like a lot of the music feels very. It's all sort of not drony, but long, sustained, suspense-building music. It's not like a melodic theme on a piece of particularly in this film i think the suspense being built through that sound design was just incredible and the moment of course which we'll get to once we maybe start discussing the plot and unpacking it more but the moment of silence in this film that was the use of silence was powerful hey there was yes i've rarely been in a cinema during a moment where like everyone stopped eating when that happened, yeah. in the, and we'll, we'll, the Except people who've seen it know which Frank part we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what? Opening his multi. Frank actually right. called me <laughs> during that sequence. Um, where no. I was, where I was, just just to finish the yeah, sort of point of where course. I was headed, because all the build up to this was you have to see this at IMAX. You have to see this on the biggest screen you can. Mm. Coming out of the film, I went. I don't know why. No, I would I, happily no, I watch this that. on a TV because there is okay. one scene where you probably do that, you need it for, but apart from that, it's a boardroom drama. The the Los Alamos uh, like Trinity explosion is the bit you're talking about yes. where it's like that's that's for yeah. the IMAX. So you guys saw it in IMAX? No. 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 VMAX. VMAX. No. I saw it in IMAX. I'm glad I did. I think it really did use so much of, uh, you know, uh, Hoyt van Hoyten. 
the the cinematographer and Christopher Nolan did a really fantastic job of capturing the psychological journey that uh, that Oppenheimer was going through. Also, the black and white is really like anytime someone's doing black and white properly, um, like Kenneth Branagh with Belfast. Oh, love that movie. Um, no, it's a piece of shit. But the black and white, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? The black, and, the black and white in this, even in a very derided movie that we've talked about earlier with blonde Andrew Dominic, you know, when black and white is done by people who are so passionate about using the textures of it the way that it was used here. I, I, I did love it in IMAX. But I agree with you that it is a lot of interiors. There's the exterior stuff out in um, New Mexico or Arizona. Where are they actually? New Mexico. New Mexico, um, which is gorgeous, like the skylines and stuff. But I, I kind of loved the way that the the enormity of it on what the about, screen made me feel the claustrophobia of what was going on. What about the extreme years. close-ups? I can imagine. Yes. I mean, VMAX is a massive screen, so it's not like we saw it on a lounge room TV, but – I can imagine just looking at Killian Murphy's face that close. You'd be like, Whoa. The first shot of, of Killian Murphy's face, Kath and I went and saw this together and she leaned over and she just said, his face big. And I was like, yeah, his face big. So and it's like, is, that's what. Wow, we should get her on this. I this, know, she's not good. bad. This is what I want to know. What's the difference then? Like what does IMAX bring to this specifically? Well, he shoots. I, I can't compare the aspect screens. ratio. Is you can isn't see it? the is difference in the two bald caps that Robert Downey Jr. is wearing, <laughs> so you know exactly what year it uh, is. His head to toe legit. He shaved his head. I swear, head to toe legit. <laughs> he was <laughs> so legit. It's a good Robert Downey reference. Um, he was very good in this. I think the whole cast are impeccable. Oh no, we don't like. Oh, I've like? kind of grown up in the last. 10 to 15 years with Robert Downey Jr. And in yeah. the Marvel films, he has a lot of oh shit physical and vocal tics and They're, attributes and yes. I could see them all and I went, oh, shit. There was one scene when he was, when he was as Strauss, it was the same as the scene in Endgame when he has a go at Chris, at Chris Evans' Captain America. Mm. It was the same sort of you and he's doing mm. the, the shaky point, the shaky point action. It's hard to describe. I, but I get that. I The first 10 minutes of the film for me, I – couldn't shake that Marvel stench off of him and then I bought into it and then I was fine with it. By the end I was happy but I didn't hold on to it like it sounds like you two have. I didn't see it as much. Mm. It's a pretty great bit of stunt casting uh, to take, yes, Iron Man, to take someone who on some level was being very Oppenheimery in his very first, a much more braggadocious version, but like the speech he has in the first Iron Man where he's like, they say the best weapon's the one you never have to fire. I say the best one is the one you only have to use once. Mm -hmm. You know, that scene was kind of playing in my head a little bit during this movie. Obviously his moral conflict in those movies is a lot more uh, comic booky and and whatever, but he's still the the sort of anti-hero that it was incredibly easy to get behind. And in this, I don't know if you guys had this because I didn't know the history of the story too well. I knew it a little, but I didn't know Strauss. Strauss. You should have got the Wikipedia page up. Uh, yes, I should have. Yes. Would have helped. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Well, yeah. I was reading it over some guy's shoulder. I feel yeah. like I got the gist. But um, the the character he was playing, Strauss or Straws, as he pronounces it, which we can kind of get to that character detail in a bit, but... Um, because of the way I'm conditioned to watch films, one that are shot in black and white, two that are set in the 50s, and three centre around McCarthyism, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but I'm like, right, I'm watching J. Robert Oppenheimer be um, sort of villainized and ostracised for things later in his career, for what sure. he achieved or the, the, the horror he wrought upon the world, and I'm watching something similar happen to Strauss. And it literally wasn't until the last, yeah, the last act of the movie I started to get what was going on. And it's like, oh, no, he's the bad guy. 
and he's the one who's done that. And I thought that was a brilliant bit of misdirection. Mm. But I'm watching this movie thinking Robert Downey Jr. is a sympathetic character who's being railroaded much in the same way that Oppenheimer has been. Yes. And that reveal, of course, I think is a really, really fantastic use of because you see him sitting there with a tribunal of judges questioning him and you go like, well, yeah, when I see this, this is the McCarthy hearings. Something else that comes to mind is like the scenes in Aviator with Leo when he's sitting in front of the, I don't know if you guys have seen Aviator, but yeah, yeah where he's sitting and he's being asked to answer questions as well at these tribunals and you always feel for those people. Well, it's like they're being attacked. It's of like course. They're the, they're the, the little man against yes. the odds. Yeah. Even it's, the way it's, it's shot, structured in that way. The camera that you, looking up from that high or yeah. low angle rather and yeah. you just keep going like, oh, yeah, this guy's, you know, they're, they're, they're taking him apart unfairly and the fact that Robert Downey Jr. reveals his villainous sort of traits. It's a very showy performance. It's not my favourite performance in the movie, but I like it. I think it's I think it's cool to see him do something like this. Yeah. He does have... I agree. I don't disagree with Chris. He has his ticks. He has his tricks. He's using I them. think it's he hard is. for him to shake it at this point. I don't disagree with you either, but... It- well, he'll he'll the, be nominated. Oh, he'll win. I what? think yes. For supporting. I think this is a like, oh, this is the legacy performance. He's done with Marvel. He's doing a grown-up movie. Robert Downey Jr. You know, oh. I yes, I I will put well, then, my I'd put my I'll and do 20, 20 bucks to anyone. Because a, a lot of the money, I'll take it. I'll take it. A lot of the money's on Killian Murphy to win lead. I, that's what they're saying. I don't think so. I, don't, I thought it was kind of a little boring. I have a I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Please, for you. it's it's six to eight months from now. The Oscar ceremony is underway. Mm-hmm. Austin Butler's on the stage. Oh, now we've got the nominee, nominees for best like, what, what, what are you doing up here? <laughs> yeah. Because he's because still you, doing his you fucking illness. You get away from me, mama. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And they say, he hasn't left old. since last year. They yes. say Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Yeah. What scene do they show? They show him when he's giving the speech after the the dropping of the bomb. When okay. he's like, and there's the he's and he's flashing, trying to g up and be this like uh, like inspiring figure. And you know, but I bet they didn't like it. You know, and that that, that conflict that's seared into his face when he, I think that's the scene they mm-hmm. play yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I like here's the thing: he's a very talented man, but I just in the way that like where's the Oscar scene? Not that I wish there was an Oscar scene, but there's not a lot for him to do. It's all very underplayed, all very uh, beneath the surface, which of course is very hard to do. But I was, I think the, the grief that he's shown and the despair. The, yeah. The, the, the damage <laughs> he's brought upon the world. Yeah. All of that, all of the above, all of that is not really, that doesn't really land for me. And I feel like there's not enough weight on what he did, what the atomic bomb did and the, the disastrous, Result. The surface of- level theme here is guilt. Like it's it's pretty obviously guilt, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean I felt that through him as well. I'm not and saying I didn't in, feel it. I think he portrayed the third it. Act especially, but, but I feel like I like I've just listened to a series on um the Manhattan Project and they go into this everything about um Hiroshima and the the horrible stories that come out of that that truly just make your skin crawl. Mm. I don't think Nolan did enough of that. Or gave us enough of that. I feel like it's almost it's, in a little way it has to be an active choice because there is that oh. scene where they come in the halfway through and yeah, so like Hitler's dead. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um. Right. we like, so uh, we never see anything external. Oh, of course, it's a which, choice, but I don't again think it's- all this lead up. I oh, need to see it in IMAX. You need to see it in IMAX. Oh shit, we're gonna see some shit, but so, we yeah. don't. You see nothing. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. to, to understand the weight and the gravity of what's actually happening, you need to see more? I I would have liked that. 
from my understanding of it, sure. and I like have done a little bit of research on the actual history of it. I I just it would have been awful, but so impactful to see it. I don't disagree because for a three-hour film, you've got the time to cover what you want to cover. And that test yeah. scene is 30 seconds of explosion out mm-hmm. of a three-hour film. Which was all the hype, that the only mm-hmm. hype that they really put behind the film as well. And, again, I don't think, and maybe like IMAX versus VMAX, it didn't look that big. It should have felt bigger. I agree. In my mind. I agree. To me, the best part of that scene was... The deafening silence. Oh yeah, just that wonderful and, and the, the blinding and light, and that's how they all described it. It's like you, yeah, you this looking at this sheet of white and you can't see anything, and it's disastrous. But also the the build up, the five minutes of build up prior to that, oh, all that uh, tension, that, yeah, yeah, like that tension was palpable. And again, that's what two hours in, and we've got another hour to go, and that's that's, right. that's the height of tension and climax for yeah. the movie for me. That, that section like, of the film is wonderful. That's great. Yeah, I look, and, I gave this a nine. But that still, I, I was looking at my watch immediately after that bomb dropped. Well, you think. Because that feels like the climax. It yeah. is the climax. Yeah. So you're like, you oh, go, oh, oh in. we've got another hour. Interesting. Mm. And then I would say that first half hour following really fizzles out for me. I really struggled. And then that last half hour, it grabs you back in again. And I was really interested in, in how that was going to wind up. Um, but and again, like, you've got, you, you have that hour left. And yeah, that's right. You have Oppenheimer, I think they're talking to just two guards or something, and they're like, yeah, we'll take it from here. Uh, what? Like, yeah. mm. that's how you're going to communicate this? It just it was odd. It grated in, in an odd way. And also, like, you've imagine- got all this time, yeah. and you're just going, oh, we'll take it from here. But also, like, imagine, like the, imagine seeing, because they had to build the bomb on the plane when they actually dropped it. So imagine seeing that and the, the physicists have, who had to put it together and they're flying, they're like, oh, like imagine the tension there. Holy shit. And then as soon as the bomb is dropped, that plane is up and out. Like imagine what Nolan could have done with that, that moment. It's dropping, whistling away. They should have shown us the tension from the guy they forgot to call to say that they were dropping it. He's still at the tower watching it, (laughs) waiting. (laughs) My radio's not working. I wonder if that's going to be a problem. (laughs) Wow. Didn't happen. I I do. There there are parts of this film that are... Incredible. Um, when this film works for me, it really works. Mm. Um, yeah. The scene with the explosion, lack of noise, then bang, hitting with air, sound. But for me, it's actually the scene after that. It's that celebration scene and the way the soundscape of celebration explodes like a bomb. And then you have the crowd screaming, and it's screaming in such a way that you don't know. You can you can hear pain and suffering in it, and you're getting that yeah, visually it's, represented. It's beautifully as well. mixed. They've obviously gone. That's incredible. Mm, yeah. Give me give me that. Yeah. But there are moments of it that's it's just genius, and you go ah yeah because the mix of elation, fear, all that stuff put together, you go ah that captures it. That feels right. But yeah, I just wish not wish I'd seen the Hiroshima disaster, but I feel like it would give more weight to. Um, Killian's performance and the whole story around it, if you see what it actually did. No, yeah. I don't disagree. Look, it is a long film and it, it could have utilised that time better and I think that some scenes were filler. Some um, Like the subplot with Florence Pugh, I'm still sort of scratching my head about. I see why it worked but also was it necessary. I have a question for Tom on that. Hello. I mm. think his, Hello, his brain can mm. maybe help me with it because – 
she has to represent something. She, like in my head at the moment, the way I'm mulling with this theory, she represents humanity mm-hmm. because every time he goes and visits her, he brings flowers and she says to him, don't bring flowers, I don't want flowers. And you always look at the bunches of flowers that he brings and they are mushroom cloud shaped. And so she is constantly saying, don't bring me flowers, don't bring me flowers. Nice. And so he ultimately gives humanity this mushroom cloud shaped bomb. This is Chris's superpower, by the way. Yeah, the symbolism (laughs) stuff. It's always great. (laughs) Mm. This This is the unfortunate thing with this film. I kept getting kicked out of it and watching it externally rather than in it. Again, with Nolan films, he likes to use the same actors, but now it's got to the point where, with me where I'm like, oh, yeah, Branner, he was in Tenant, and oh, yeah, there's Gary Oldman, he was in Batman. And sure. Again, it just kicks me out. I'm like, oh, no, so stay back in because you have to yeah, be paying is- attention to everything yeah. because there is a cast of 70 people you're needing to keep track of. Massive Do you think Branner remembers that he's English? I don't know if someone needs to Irish, have a Tom. conversation with us. To- <laughs> <laughs> that would actually get me. <laughs> I, have you guys seen that? I immediately apologise to the people. Have you guys seen the interviews that Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy did years ago and an interviewer says to Killian Murphy, um, so coming from England, and Killian Murphy's like, oh, I'm Irish. He's like, yeah, 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 England. He's like, no, I'm oh, Irish. Wow. And Tom Hardy's like backing up like he's about to kill you. <laughs> like <laughs> insane. So it's I apologise, so Irish, Irish, Brenneth Canner. Belfast sucks. He doesn't know his own name at going, this point. Going back to, to Florence Pugh, who's Gene Tatlock in the film, yeah. I did love the moment because the, the law around it is that she was killed by the FBI or Secret Service or, you know, some sort of yeah. agency. Mm-hmm. And there's one flash of when she's, the I guess the suicide scene, for lack of a better word, the, there's one flash where there's a glove on her mm-hmm. neck, yeah, and that's it. And you're like, fabulous oh, shot, oh, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's all that doubt around mm-hmm. it. And I was like, that's that was very nicely done. Mm-hmm. I thought because obviously you can't say well, she was murdered, but mm, people think yeah. probably it's not <laughs> unlikely. It's the American government. <laughs> she's a communist. <laughs> I think she's paradox. I think if you want to think of it that way, right? Like if we talk about the idea of paradoxes. How can light be what is light is it a particle or is it a wave it's both it can't be and yet Ah, it is is. how does that work right and this idea of her being something i think the problem is i'm reaching with her character as well much as probably people would with kitty emily blunt because and i think in a vacuum this stuff is maybe less concerning but if you look at all of nolan's filmography he's pretty bad at uh, incorporating women in a natural way into oh, his stories. Yeah, he loves and dudes. The second I saw there were two women in this, I was like, one of them's going to die to inspire Oppenheimer. That's just what he does. Mm. He kills a wife. It's in Inception. <laughs> he really it's does. It's in Batman. Oh Memento. It's in Memento. He kills oh, yeah. the wife. That's what happens. <laughs> you know, there's just no way around it. Nolan kills the wife. <laughs> sorry. Is he, is he in married? this one, at least, it's is sorry. He he, he yeah. Not for long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, Wait, isn't she his editor? Yes, Emma Thomas is oh, his production partner. Sorry, the, yes. Yeah, they, found, they founded the company together. Editor for this was Jennifer Blame or Jessica Blame. She's very so she's she's editing in Cries for Help from the sounds of the that. the non-wife. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to commend the editing because it is Wonderful. relentless. Yeah. Every no shot is on screen for more than five seconds, oh, and I was yeah. thinking about it yesterday. I'm like. Mm-hmm. It just keeps you going, keeps you going. It's like, oh, that's right. It's a literal race. Yeah. They are in a race yeah. against the Nazis then and the can, Russians. Sorry, I know, like, it's a choice not to show anyone else, but, like, they didn't show anyone else making the bomb. There was no pressure. There was just inbuilt pressure. I, I just, 
I don't know. I didn't mind I that though because again, I I, was, I bought into it and I was like, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time up until the I bomb found, dropped I found and it I kind slowed of, for a second. I found it exhausting because I like. It, I think, but, but isn't you, that, I hate to say it. Is, is that, that, the, that point? the point? Yeah, it might be. It might I be, read, I was, guys. I actually read the other day. Nolan said that is the point. So. Yes. Yeah, was yeah. he talking about that? And or he said, Frank, get yeah. over it. Frank, get over <laughs> it. That's, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's no, fair. Um, everything you guys are saying about uh, Hiroshima and the Nazis and all that sort of stuff is is certainly up for debate and there is a version of this where maybe it is a bit more inclusive of that. Didn't bother me for a number of reasons. The biggest one being I've seen a thousand war movies. I know about the war. Truth. It, I, there's nothing he probably could have shown me that would have been a new thing. Yes, I get that the spectacle of Hiroshima and Nagasaki from Nolan would have been quite arresting, also probably would have been a bit exploitative, and I don't know if I needed that. I think that the shot just of Oppenheimer treading on a body when he's walking out of the auditorium after he gives his speech, the, like, the dry husked mm-hmm. body, yeah. I was like, that's all I need. I need that moment where mm-hmm. he's thinking about it because he knows what's possible. The fact that we don't see everyone else building the bomb is terrifying because we're locked into his point of view and he's like, I don't know how far ahead they are. I don't know if we're ahead mm. of them. We know he's ahead of them, but he fucking doesn't. And I find that incredibly captivating. But they they did know. Like it was There were moments where they knew they'd taken the wrong turn. But that's all you know, within No, fa- no I mean in real life. You mean they were quite aware of where each other, where the where the race was. Interesting. Okay, my within the you. Yeah, I, but this is a Hollywood movie. I know, and I know, <laughs> no, 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 and maybe no, no. I went in. I might have gone into like give me the give me the history, give me the facts. Sure, and that's that's on me. The scene that I kind of stuck with, and then maybe he learned more, is when he's first talking to Matt Damon, who, by the way, my favorite performance in the movie. Love him in this, but. There's the scene where, um, yeah, he first meets Matt Damon and Killian Murphy starts to explain they may be 12 to 18 months ahead of us. And that's kind of once that race is set into motion, it's always sitting there in the back of your mind, you know. Um, Just on Matt Damon. Yeah. I can hear that conversation between him and Nolan. It's like, I was a bad guy in the last one. Can I be a good guy in this one? Yeah, okay, man. Yeah, but you're going to be an asshole. (laughs) He's like, fine, I'll make it entertaining as fuck. And he does. He's uh, He's... Wonderful in this film. I read that Damon was uh, going to take some time off from acting, and he said, "Only unless Nolan calls." Yeah. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, go, that's a call. Sorry, sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm off again. <laughs> I want you to play the bottom." I, I, I know I said I'm going to chill out for a bit, but Nolan did. Is that true? Call. Yeah. That's Do you so like funny. New <laughs> Mexico? Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but good choice because he was. Actually, pretty phenomenal. That's my first scene in the movie. I do enjoy this movie relatively from the get go. Like, I think the opening by intention Mm. is uh, discombobulating, and you're just kind of like, oh, there's a lot of close ups on particles and just obviously like fantasies and horrific images of just like strings bending in a quantum way and like explode. And I'm like, well, that's a lot. But then the movie, you know, develops a narrative that I found quite intriguing. But the second Matt Damon walked into it, I was like, oh, give me this shit every day. Do you know, and the thing so with, good. The thing with Damon too is he doesn't have to do too much. He can still be very Matt Damon and yes. you can kind of just accept it and be cool with it. Well, I feel like because on the opposite side to Downing, we've seen him do Iron Man for mm. 15 years. We've mm. seen Matt Damon do... I mean, Jason Bourne's probably the only character he's done more than once. Yeah, which is you know like I mean? deadpan Matt, Matt Damon. Basically. Yeah, and you always see him do something. Like this, this role is very similar to him in uh, Ford v Ferrari. I was going to say Euro Trip, but go on. 
I thought when he sang Op, he doesn't know in this movie. It was a little little bit on the nose. Um, But he sounds good. Yeah, Leslie Groves, what an arsehole. He's wonderful. And historically was a massive arsehole. He plays, I think we're very used to Damon, playing against type in Interstellar where he's pathetic. For anyone who's seen that movie, he's so wonderful but so much of a fucking little weasel. Mm. And then in other movies where he plays a charming bad guy and in this he's a grouchy guy who who ultimately is on the right side of things and I think he brings a grouchiness and a little bit of a curmudgeonly like I don't have time for this shit energy that I have not seen him Mm. do before. It was a stellar performance. He'd be my nominee from this movie. It's going to be Robert Downey Jr. but I'd give it to Matt Damon. Do you think they'll both Mm. get nominated? No. I don't think in a million years Matt Damon will get nominated. I would love it, but I don't think he will, but I do think Robert Downey, definitely. How did we feel about uh, Emily Blunt? Because it took me a little bit to accept it almost. I, I, at, at one point, like early, I thought she was phoning it in. I thought it was a bit too much. It was it was way over the top. The, the fact that it's like, oh, she's an alcoholic and she's drinking in every scene. It was yeah. a teeny uh, glass in her hand yeah. when she's standing Constantly. by the window. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, it was do one scene without a glass Well, in I her thought hand. the beer bong was pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, <laughs> the yes. The yeah. She did um, a lot of rehearsal for that flip. Scene. They're very hard to pull off. <laughs> oh, nice um, reference. But uh, her third act interrogation where she sits in and, and gets – um, question or interviewed, let's say. Wonderful. Is so good. So, so good. It is, so is good. it a it's cliche at, at this point? It is in a it's, number of ways yes. disappointing. Strangely <laughs> out of character because you're like, how? We've not seen her do anything like this. Yeah, because the of how underserved she's yeah. been for the whole movie, yes. that's one of the only reasons that scene can work because mm. you are so not expecting it. I still think in the moment it works, there were very few moments in the cinema packed um, crowd at the IMAX where the entire crowd was laughing and picked up, but we all, every single thing, because everything she threw back at Jason Clark when she was just like, 16 years ago. And he goes to, and she's like, no, 17. Sorry, 17. No, yeah. 18. And yeah. she's just like, fucking stop. Yeah. He's, he's getting <laughs> so mad at her, and the crowd loved it. I thought it was a great moment. I do think it speaks to like, yeah, well, you've barely given her anything up to this moment. So no. this kind of is the only yeah, way. Yeah, maybe the most talented person in the cast. But that's, that's what I mean. Like, I, I couldn't, I didn't really get behind. Oh, Wait, Tom wants to unpack that. Maybe the most talented person in the cast. That's, that's a big, big call. It is a that's big a call. big call. Well, well, tell, as we said, tell me I'm we, wrong. Well, no, wait, give me a sec. There were seven, yeah, there were at least five or six Reich? other He's people. Good. Uh, on Aaron I, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I thought he was very good. Um, is Emily Blunt the best? No, I think Florence Pugh's more uh, interesting actor than uh, it sounds Emily like Blunt, but she didn't have much to are do. Are we verging on a quick MB, MVP? Are we yeah, how quick? Yeah, Emily Blunt or Alden Ehrenreich for me. Probably Alden Ehrenreich. I liked him better. Interesting. And you're Matt Damon, Tom? I'm Matt Damon. I love Frank's take because I think for such a short amount of screen time, he really popped. He was wonderful. I'll go one better than I think Casey Affleck was so good. Fucking hell, so well used. (laughs) Like the back of his head and for anyone who knows his voice, (laughs) there's about three seconds before you see his face and you're like, oh, my God, it's Casey fucking Affleck. Yeah, Frank and I went, is and again, in such a similar way to Matt Damon, where you've seen this guy play so many different roles before, he was so like, you know, you have a compassion and empathy for him, but he's such a washed up, like sad guy in Manchester by the Sea. Yes. He's yes, yes, so yes, yes, yes. fucking pathetic in um, Assassination of Jesse James. He's such an obnoxious douchebag in the Oceans movies. Um, in oh. Goodwill Hunting, he, I don't know if you guys remember, masturbates into a baseball glove. Mm. So he's my MVP in that. But- for, he's he's based so on your life. stupid. Based on my life, talented. Yes. 
so stupidly talented. He's so good. And then in this, I'm like, this is the first time I've seen Casey Affleck in a movie where I've been like, oh, that man has killed people with like a fork. Before. With his eyes. Like, yes. Just with his eyes. He barely moves. He barely does anything in yeah. every line. I'm like, he will murder And the camera was so close to his face. I swear his paws had like shrunken up. He had no paws on his face. Yes. He's not human in this. He was so good. <laughs> it's intensely scary. Yes. I agree. I think that's a great deployment of him. Do you yeah. have an MVP, Christopher? Uh, Gary Oldman, just for one minute, yeah. and you have this sweet little old man in a bow tie, and by the end of the scene, you fucking hate yeah. him. Yeah. It's amazing. I find that scene so interesting because he's a nasty, evil man, but he's not wrong, mm. is he? Like Oppenheimer comes in there and goes, I just don't know how to feel about what we've done, and... My name. And Truman's like, your fucking name. Fuck you, dude. I'm the president, okay? Yeah. Who do you think they blame for this shit? <laughs> and the fact that in the movie they have him, Oppenheimer, walking out and you hear, don't let that cry baby back in here again. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit on the nose. Looked it up. It was worse. Apparently he said, don't let that fucking cretin back in here again. There's no room for crybabies. And I'm like, oh. Wow. Like, Wait, okay, so President that's Truman, Truman that's really thing. said that to Why one not of keep his. The actual line? I think they thought it was going to be too much. It almost seems unbelievable. No one's going like, to believe that, so I think they toned it. it. I, I kind of agree now oh. that I know, but it does. If I heard him say, "Don't let that fucking cretin back in again," I'd be like, well, "Come on!" But yeah, he, no, no, no. It almost needs to pop up on screen. He really said this. He really said this. It's the live footage. It reminds me of very briefly. There's a movie called Death of Stalin which I love from years ago, and um, Jason Isaacs, who's also known as Lucius Malfoy, isn't it? And oh. he, he plays, he's wonderful. In it. In it, in it. That's how <laughs> in it, that's how, oh, this is my it? son Draco, and I just think, like, in it. You, you're the boy who lived. <laughs> anyway. Voldemort is back in it. <laughs> my lord. That's quite good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, but he plays a uh, one of the, like, heads of the KGB or heads of the, no, not head of the KGB, head of the military in this movie, Death of Stalin in mm. Russia. Mm. And there's a scene where they introduce him and he's in full regalia and uniform. And he's got like 17 medals across his chest. And you're like, okay, very funny. And then you listen to the DVD commentary and the director's like, we had to take medals off because we didn't think people would believe it. But he used to have more than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy used to walk around with like 40 medals on his chest. And we were feeling we like, himself. just look silly. <laughs> like, we yeah. can't put that. And it reminds me of this Truman said something worse and they had to take it out. Gary Oldman is chilling. In this hmm. very very upsetting, hmm. his he, little beady eyes. He's Gary. He disappears into the role. Yeah, yeah. Great makeup. Someone you're talking about little beady eyes. Let's go the opposite. Big stupid old dish plates of eyes from Freddie Mercury. Dude, yeah. So this Malik. was my next point. He because <laughs> it's legitimately. So it, it is, is yeah. because he turns up and he's someone's assistant for nothing. the first two and a half hours. You're like, it was this done pre. I think, I think similar, similar like, to Matt Damon. What is going on? I think anyone goes, if Christopher Nolan calls, they go, yeah, but what's the role? And they go, oh, don't worry about it. He, I'll it, do it. It took oh. me out of the film because I'm like, how can you cast him doing yeah. this tiny little role? And then, of course, at the end it comes out and he has the larger role. But mm. cast a nobody so that yeah, when right. they're on screen, right. they are a nobody. And, and then at the end them. you get the big twist. It's that's like, oh, look, Rami Malek's back. Yeah, he oh, had yeah. a bigger role. Who could Rami's, have fucking guessed? Rami's under the curse now of Eddie Redmayne, I think. They're both, they both sit in that same sort of field for me where they were cast in a role that was so perfect for them in terms of physicality or look or sound or whatever. 
and then their one trick is starting to burn out now and I didn't see anything different from Rami in this at all. So when he finally spoke, which I giggled because I was like, oh, he actually, okay, well, he nearly ran out of time. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even worth it. The payoff was not worth it. Did you forget he was in it though until he showed up again? No, because every time he popped up, I'd lent over to Frank and be like, there he is again. See, as it, not- by which I mean like he's in it twice. Marcus kept going, mama. It's <laughs> real quiet. I was on the phone. Yeah. As instead of now I am become Death Destroyer of Worlds, once he sees the bomb go up for the first time, he starts singing <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Just kill the man. Yeah. Um, Shit. I have to admit, I saw him both times when he's first in the movie in the first hour and a half. I was just like, Rami fucking Malik, what's going on? And because of the pace of the movie, but also the breadth of it and the amount of character actors and random people thrown at me, I forgot he was in it. It worked for me when they're like, we've got this person, a David Hill, and I'm running in my head, my, the Rolodex who, of the movie, yeah. going, who the fuck is that? Is and the second name? it was a shot of Rami Malik, I was like, you know what? Didn't expect it. I was not thinking it's going to be Rami Malik. And once he showed up, I was like, I kind of actually think that we, was what We've only seen this guy have clipboards slapped into his That's face. It. He's done nothing. <laughs> and it's. I, I admit I was like, why is he in this movie right until that moment? And okay. then I was like, no, okay, I get this. I what guess about, okay, that aside, what about the actual delivery? I mean, you're not going to be able to do much. As in his acting, yeah, I sure. Do, I don't. I barely remember. for his four lines. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I was. Too, I was. Oh, he had the one bit where he's like, um, "I think that most scientists in America would really prefer for Lewis Strauss to not be in government every yeah. day." And everyone's yeah. like, <gasps> yeah. "Oh shit!" But then, like, you know, back to Chris's was, point, like, yeah. why Rami Malek? Just but for, for that because else. because if you get a rent, my my thinking is what I would have found a little cornier is if you make it a nobody. I'm going to forget their face mm-hmm. and then when they show up, you're going to have to show me flashbacks of Oppenheimer encountering him and I'm going to have to be like, who the fuck's that? So you and need it's a gonna, memorable face. You need a Rami Malek who looks like, sure. let's be fair, the lizard man that he is. And okay. so it's like Just helpful. give someone a Hitler moustache. You'll remember him. Yes, but then I think that introduces other problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this and an eye patch. Because then the movie yeah. like, does anyone know that's Hitler? <laughs> They said Hitler was dead, but he's still here. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, interesting. Jack, Jack Quaid, Josh Peck, Dane DeHaan. Oh, oh, what's the Dane Sorry, what's the guy's name from 10 Things? Sorry, the actor. Oh, yeah. What is uh, his oh, name? Oh, David Cromwell's. Isn't that it? Uh, help me. The guy who plays. Know. He plays the. Yeah, the yeah David Cromwell's. David Cromwell's. Yes, 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 yes. Is it all rabbit? He was really good. He's fantastic. Every time he shows up, where's he been? And has he been in anything? He's got a tick with his neck. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, he turns his head to the side. Like an animal. Like a chicken. He's a comedian. Sorry to interrupt, but we haven't even spoken about Josh Hartnett. Yeah, that was what a comeback. Mm. Cast that man as the new Indiana Jones. Oh, Ooh, that's Ooh. a good take. Love that. So handsome. Yeah, yeah. so fucking He's handsome. Oh, and of a good vintage. <laughs> you can get the next twenty years out of him. I'm ooing because you've suggested that of all people that Indy should be replaced. Well, well I should Harrison Ford one, can't do I, anymore. No, no, no. I agree, but like, I never expected Chris to to throw that sentence out. Well, like, if ever. we want more good. Indiana Jones films. Um, who, said, who said that? We're going to have to replace it. I don't know. I, don't know. Just, I think there, it's in his contract somewhere that after Indy, uh, Harrison Ford dies, they're going to weaken at Bernie's and at I least think, for one yeah. more. Just, just put the IP they did into a crate. Thing. Put it into a crate and store it in a warehouse. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Top. 
men. <laughs> um, yes, the the deep bench of supporting actors in this movie is quite phenomenal to it's the point amazing. where people like Outrageous. I don't know if you guys know Alex Wolf. He's the guy who's he's the son from Hereditary. He's in Pink. Oh yeah, he was it? He's, he's got, got like one line, and I'm like, it's Alex Wolf, and then he's gone. I was like, what the? It's fuck? crazy because I identify him by that. Oh that yeah, mole that yes. sits on his cheek, which is like it's very very Munro. He's um, the one that he broke his nose. In some film, that's a terrible bit. Yeah, <laughs> there's no. a scene in a in his classroom where he smashes his head on the yes, table. Yes, that's right. He actually is he the sickly that. looking man? He looks like a Draco Malfoy no. kind of guy. No. Is that the guy he's kind of like off? almost like a no. uh, sort of like tanned, like olive skin, like dark haired dude. He's a good looking kid. He's, yeah, he's, he's not. In, he's he's barely in it. What's he's the young kid from Jumanji? Spencer and Jumanji. He's in old like, like the, kind the of original Jumanji. No. He's aged well. <laughs> you're, you're thinking of Robin Williams. I, they're easy to get confused. You have the guy yeah. that played uh, Wednesday Adams' boyfriend in Adams Family Matters. I'm a f- sorry, I do not know his name. Um, but I haven't, how I, haven't how I seen him in that 30 up? years. <laughs> Wednesday Adams' boyfriend. Quite a no, it's cool. a good pull. Yeah, yeah, go but again, on. haven't go seen cool. him in 30 years. He turned like, this is good shit. It cool. had... Uh, it had, uh, was it Drake? No. Who's that kid from Nickelodeon? Yeah, yeah, Josh Peck. That's Josh, Josh Peck. Peck. Yeah, yeah. Right, and right, not right, the right. other, who's the other one from that show? Drake. Who's, he's the. Drake Bell, who's not doing well. Well. Oh. That's how you remember that little. Jake, oh, Drake Bell, Bell not doing well. Josh In, Peck, he's wait, on. You're not doing well Fleck? in terms of career? Uh, no, he's uh, like grooming and stuff. Yeah, sexual harassment. Yeah. Not, nah. Let's t- chuck in allegedly there because I'm not 100% sure, but yes. That's cool. Not a cool guy. I've got a question. Go There's on. a scene that I felt really jarring and that was the uh, the nudity scene between uh, Killy Murphy and Florence Pugh. And my question is, was it was it necessary? And if so, and probably one for Chris, what was that symbolising? Was it a whole like feeling exposed? Was it just to build up their relationship, their intimacy? Like what was the point? That you are your true unhidden self with someone in particular. I'm sure you and Flick have had conversations <laughs> completely butt naked. Where you read for Hindu texts. Oh, I thought you were gonna <laughs> I thought you were gonna come in with something like uh, No, yeah, of course I have. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a it's a level of intimacy that <laughs> And that he doesn't have with anyone else, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, okay. No mirrored problem. mirrored in the scene slightly in the boardroom where Lawrence Pugh appears on his lap, mm-hmm. and mm. and then again, cool visual, kind like, of phenomenal use of nudity. Yeah, bit. Mm-hmm. I, I do. A, I think it worked mm-hmm. as yes, a kind of mirror image or, or like a parallel. Also, like there's the implication there, not so much. Like he's impotent, right? Like they're having sex and he can't get it up, or whatever. Mm. That's why she gets off and goes to get the book, and then mm. when she brings the book back, she's like, "What gets this guy going?" And whether or not there's something about the idea of, you know, Sanskrit. Now. Sanskrit. As always, <laughs> look, relatable, but like Is that <laughs> is that actually specified that he's that's not the, erect? well she says it he, at one point. Um I just thought she just stopped in the middle of it because she's like her kink. At, Yay. at one yeah. point she goes when he's telling her about Kitty, um, he goes, Can't keep a good man down. And she's like, No, I'm talking about her. She knows what you want. And there's th- that implication of like maybe he's not always able to perform. Oh, Obviously, um, when we're talking about bombs, when we're talking about rockets, when we're talking about things to do with like the phallic imagery and all that sort of stuff. But then I think there's that moment as well as like they're in the act of lovemaking and then he becomes a destroyer, right? You know, there's two things that mirror each other pretty really? well. Really? How just, then does she choose that phrase? That I, no, 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 I think that's insane not a fan that that's how Nolan wrote I that. Think, I think it's bombastic and fucking crazy. I don't think it's very good. I think, I think it's, it's, I think it's in poor of a, taste and kind of che- like cheesy or just like 
Yeah. Yeah. How how did he get because that's that's one of his first like love making scenes, right? Nolan doesn't do a lot of So you had a problem with the scene as well? Yeah. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. took it more as just knowledge and learning gets him off. Like he learnt enough Dutch, Dutch in six yeah, weeks yeah. to give a, a talk on uh, quantum, quantum, quantum mechanics, mechanics yeah. you know, in six weeks. So clearly learning is his thing. Yeah, that gets academic. him excited and yep. so she could use that to, yeah, to get him excited. So, so that's, that's yeah, where I took it. But yeah. to turn to pick a book, the a page and read line. this yeah. and it's like, yeah. okay, we know. all wanted to hear it at some point. but It's a very convenient Maybe way after the Trinity it. test or, you know, sure. when it happened. We have to assume people are coming into this never hearing anything about J. Robert Oppenheimer and that they've never heard that quote, which, of course, a lot of people who know about him know. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. But, yeah, that moment, that was a moment where me, guy sitting next to me and maybe like five other people in the audience went, <laughs> like when he's like, because you're just like, I can't believe this is how they're going to do it. Very memorable, but I don't also, know how. Yeah, Marks and I had a conversation. Movie. Marks and I had a conversation with a, a coworker the other day and obviously that text is sacred and to have that read out during a sex scene. It has oh. caused some controversy. People are like, of it course. won't get shown in India. Something. Like it just can't. Yes, and so, I was like, "Nah, it's a, that's." I don't know. I thought this was just Hollywood doing another like, "We've got to have a nude scene." Like Florence Pugh um, doesn't have that stereotypical uh, Hollywood um, image, right? In terms of who she is as a female, and like she's so confident and in her own unique. Uh, whoa, sorry, bit of in a her, Freudian slip there. Yeah, you, you naked. naked. Oh I want to see you naked in her own unique way. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's um, extremely. Um, sexy and and charismatic and and I don't think she would do a nude scene just because the studio goes oh we need some that's boobs what here. I'm, I'm, that's I don't think she would I don't quite think, literally I don't think Nolan thought. would either I, I don't think, no, it's, I think there's a decent chance I mean the studio's releasing a three hour movie that's uh, about three hour you got two the boobs. seeds of our own that, dest- what's the ratio there <laughs> the seeds of our own <laughs> destruction sown by a guy that probably most people even in America couldn't name or pick out of a lineup Hmm. and they're like, okay, well, we want to try and get as many people to this as possible. And he's like, well, also it's going to be R-rated because they're like, come on, dude. Like really, I reckon he pushed for it. I think he's like, no, no, no. To push a rating. Sorry, not to push a rating, to because he thought it was a necessary part of the story. I do not imagine a studio came in and were like, put boobies in this. I think no, they were like, that's, does this need boobies? And he was like, yes, I, this needs boobies. You're going to have to give it the R rating, which this is now right. the most successful opening for an R-rated film since Joker, I want to say, and it's on like a wow. pretty, pretty steady list. But like okay. who knows? There's definitely a degree to which I think it was an intentional choice that didn't feel too lewd and too – I remember reading there's nudity in this movie, it's R-rated, and I was like, what is that going to look like? Mm. And then when it came up, I was like, huh, mm. okay, that's what that looks like. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I thought it was going to be peen. Yeah, there was oh. some suggestion that – and even the – Short n- for the penis. S- uh, yes. Nice. Oh, uh, that changes my answer. Wait, I was no, in plural. I, I, I thought it was peen eye. <laughs> Just the Pins. one. Pins. 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 I thought there would have been two, to be honest. Oh, peenheimer. <laughs> Um, I've got one last thing on my mind I want to just get it out there right now We haven't talked about the fact that this was paired up um, With Barbie Yeah, Barbenheimer A movie we're going to be talking about in the next week Are we doing it next week? We're doing it next week and Hot topic Probably even a time now to mention that we often We have episodes of this that are recorded so far in advance 
listener, when you're hearing some of these that we probably recorded them six or seven weeks ago, we are jumping the queue with Oppenheimer and Barbie to get them out to you mm-hmm. sooner. So th- these are coming out. So if we make a reference to a joke we did a few weeks ago and you haven't heard that episode, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just, some of this is like- It just means you have to tune in to the next Yeah, one. you guys yeah, have yeah, to be yeah, like, oh, that's, that's right. a cool forward now. Like, to me, I think this was almost damaging to Oppenheimer having Barbie connect to it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this helped? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I feel like I, yeah. don't, I don't like that it's associated with this. They're, they're so polar opposite. But course. the marketing, the, the sort of word of mouth or grassroots marketing campaign, because Nolan hasn't done a lot, whereas Barbadies, 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 Barbecating? Yeah. yeah. Bar- Barbie's marketing. The Barbie marketing. Oh, right. <laughs> Barbie's, Barbie's marketing, marketing is famously great. I think that the Barbie Oppenheimer thing, just like Frank said, you know, it was not an intentional uh, thing done by the studios. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, you know, I, I think to his credit has just kind of been pretty quiet about it. And yeah. certainly Greta Gerwig him, and- Him and Killian both kind of went, oh, we're doing this, all right. Sure. Well, well, they've, but they've spoken about it quite a bit. Like, like Killian was like, Well, they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I can't wait to see Barbie. Like, I think- I don't know how you felt, but we spoke about this after we saw it. Like the cinemas feel full. This is like a, a very exciting moment for cinema uh, to bring it back. Yeah, cinema's felt, back. Yeah, cinema. It's is a pretty back. exciting time to and have to to have two such vastly different films mm. in so many ways coming out at the same time and both doing well. I think it's really exciting, and don't I feel like you can't too shy away quickly about cinema being back. This is coming off the back of Indiana Jones flop, Flash flop. Transformers film. Yeah, but Flash and Transformers, I don't think you can. I would argue that people are getting sick of retreads. That we're at the point, the reason that Marvel's been downhill for the last couple of years, the reason that even Mission Impossible, which was projected to do a lot better than it has, Mm. isn't doing too well at the moment. And those that I've spoken to have said that's actually quite good as well. Yeah, I've heard it's good as well. People are excited for it, but it's not quite done as well. Oppenheimer is a completely original IP. It's why I mentioned at the start with um, Nolan. I hate even calling it IP, but it is. like there's going to be a sequel, but there's like Nolan, <laughs> Nolan uh, bringing, you know, his ability to gin up so mm. much attention for a movie and so much like, once again, a crowd, but also the intellectual side of it and the filmmaking sort of bona fides that he has is pretty unique, uh, you know, I, and then Greta Gerwig kind of is in the younger generation. You've got of being your able Gerwig. To definitely up you've got Jordan your Wes Anderson. As well. Where did, yep. uh, yeah, you've got uh, what, what else is coming out? Uh, Scorsese as well. Like Scorsese's part of the old guard, but he's still kind of able to do it. But he's got a film coming out shortly as well. So what yes. I mean is that these independent IPs are starting to throw out there. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Um, I really I don't want to take up too much more time. Can I, Frank, I'm going to ask permission to talk about something just for maybe the next. <laughs> uh, Do you need me to open something for you? Um, yeah, well, actually, I need you to just lean down. Yep, there it is. And the butler in a pantry with a mic. Bang. Close it. The butler's pantry. <laughs> yeah. Just close it. You What's win? in there? What's in there, Tom? It's <laughs> closed. I put the lock on. Uh, it's okay. uh, it's uh, stuff about the Oppenheimer movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, I, wow. I, had nothing, I had nothing fun. Um, is it the, the budget? Yeah, sure. The budget for this movie was $100 million. It's not uh, Nolan's biggest budget. In fact, far from his biggest budget. He's mm. made movies that have been, uh, what, a couple hundred million for uh, things like uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, 250 wasn't it? 250 I believe, which is one of the most expensive movies ever made. And I'm reading here somewhere, give me a sec, yeah, um, is not good. So it's a shame. But uh, there's other movies of his that he's, oh. Uh, uh, We'll talk about it. He's almost going to be going uh, backwards with his budgets despite getting more ambitious 
in his sort of storytelling and like visuals, obviously. Tenet. Even to, to, to pay for this cast. Yes, that's very it's true. Crazy. Well, a lot of people take, so, a, they so, take so, a cut to work in a movie like this. Yeah. Yes. So what you're gonna say? It's made. How much has it made thus far? So far in uh, domestic in the US, it's made eighty. It's made internationally something like what 170. It's something? right. It's right in front of you. Is it 174, 174 million international? <laughs> He's trying to guess. Here's um, the thing. No, I read it earlier. But <laughs> the eighty million for this and the one say fifty plus, however much Barbie's made, which we'll clarify in next week. That is the first weekend in history that two movies have made over eighty million together. Wow. The, like, like, sorry, not together. Each, each. have made over eighty million wow. domestically mm. in, in the box office. It is a big deal. These two movies have bolstered each other. They really have kind of like boats rising the tide, lifting all boats, sort of thing. Uh, it's been a very big deal. Um, and the thing I would guess I want to say is that Christopher Nolan makes very interesting movies, and this one is a good intellectual exercise in storytelling about genius not being appreciated, which means he's a bit of a wanker. But I also think he kind of nailed it in his approach to the moral ambiguity and the erosion of the social sort of like integrity of America, especially by the use of a character like Louis Strauss, who's attacking J. Robert Oppenheimer for his contributions to the celebratory sort of like, uh, you know, imperial majesty of America, but at the same time sort of detracting from the way that they look at things and go, oh, our bad, we, we feel sorry about that now. Um, I think it's a really good movie. That's why it's a 9.7 for me. Does anyone want to throw in the bow? That was nice. Yeah, I do want to. Th- <laughs> I, I I will throw in the power. I was a five point five or a six. Um, probably up to an eight. Throw in the power. Yeah, I just good throw. I mean, it's still the last hour is not great. Great but throw. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily go up to a five. Wait, oh. throw in the power. That's pretty. That's oh, a whole point. That's, that's a whole the point. new halfway, Chris. I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to rate these movies out of ten moving forward. Um, anyone else have anything to say? I'm just so glad that my dad's condom broke, so I was alive to see this film. You can't bring that up every week. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we'd wrapped up earlier. I wish I had that's never what my heard that. Dad's <laughs> yeah. Here goes I am death, destroyer of worlds. That's what Marcus's dad said. <laughs> my God. Okay. Well, that was fun. That was Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's a good movie. And um, it's time to... Up time ago. Up and time. Through in the power. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Throw in the Power. My name is Frank. I'm Tom on Frank's mic. I'm <laughs> Marcus. And I'm Chris. Um, <laughs> shit. I really threw him off there. <laughs> what am I supposed to say after that? You got so close to my face. Oh, wear, wear two condoms, guys. Wear two condoms. Up and buy, man. <laughs> That's good. Very smart. Listen. Through the past.